The scripture text for today's sermon is from Romans chapter 11, verses 23 through 32. So if you please take your Bibles, I'll be reading the entire chapter of Romans 11. And it can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 946. It's Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the fruit is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature 
into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments! And how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Last week I mentioned a novel I was reading by Cormac McCarthy titled The Road. The world in this novel has been destroyed by a nuclear attack. Everywhere there are ashes. People are wearing masks to survive. Burnt corpses are in the open. They rot and they die. A father is trying to preserve the life of his son in this world that is filled with destruction and anarchy. Most of those who survive have turned to evil. They will do anything, anything to stay alive. Murdering others, eating others. The world is bleak and gray and exceedingly dangerous. It seems there's no reason to stay alive. In one of the most poignant parts of the book, The mother of the boy, the wife of the husband, takes her own life because she can't bear to live in such a world. She can't bear to live in a world where there's no hope. So she ends her life. But somehow the father keeps going, doing all that he can to preserve the life of his child, of his boy. He lives in a world with no hope but Quote, he dreamt of walking in a flowering wood where birds flew before them and the sky was aching blue. The father continued to hope where there was no hope. And Paul teaches us in this passage, although it seems that there's no hope for Israel to be saved, that they will be saved, that there is hope. God will fulfill His promises to Israel 
And he'll fulfill his promises to us too. There is always hope for those who know Jesus Christ. The blue sky of God's mercy will dawn again. Where there's spiritual death, there will be life. Where there's greatness, there's going to be the sunshine and warmth and power of his love. So I think in this text, it's a a difficult text in many ways, we have a promise that Israel will be saved. So I want to answer, if you can stay with me today, six questions about Israel's salvation in these verses. And it's why, what, who, when, how, and why again. Let, Let me put them in sentences. Why will Israel be saved? What is the mystery to be revealed here? Who will be saved? Fourthly, when will they be saved? Fifth, how will they be saved? And then I return again to the first question, why will they be saved? So I have a why at the beginning and the end. So let's, let's just dive right in and look at these six questions. First, why will Israel be saved? And we see in verses 23 and 24, the first verses for today, that it's fitting, it's appropriate for God to save Israel. Let's read verses 23 and 24 again. Paul says, and even they, they stands for Israel here, right? And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you, that's the Gentiles, for if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, the Jews, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So why will Israel be saved? Because it's fitting. Paul uses a common sense argument. The olive tree stands for the people of God. And the Jews are the natural branches. And the Gentiles are the branches contrary to nature that have been grafted on to that olive tree. The Gentiles are now part of that one people of God. There's one people of God consisting of Jews and Gentiles who believe. And Paul's point here is, if God God took Gentile branches that were not naturally part of the tree and grafted them onto the people of God and saved them, then it's fitting for him to save those natural branches, that is the Jews, that have been cut off. It's fitting for God to save his people, his chosen ones. But it's clear, isn't it, that he's thinking of grafting back in ethnic Jews in the context. Right? He's, he's talking about the salvation of the Jewish people here. He contrasts them specifically with the Gentiles. So, so I think that's his main point. The Jews can and will be saved if, verse 23, if they believe. They must believe to be saved. The, the Jews must believe in Jesus to be saved. There, there are even evangelicals confused about this, so I emphasize it. They are not saved by being Jewish. 
They must believe in Jesus as the Christ to be saved. They're not saved apart from faith in Christ. They become part of that one people of God, Jew and Gentile, by trusting in Jesus. So, what's the application to us? Since most of us in here were not Jewish. Well, first of all, it's quite simple, isn't it? You, I'm speaking particularly to unbelievers right now, you can be part of that olive tree too. But you must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus to be saved. You must give up any idea, any idea that you're good enough to stand before God based on what you've done. Because your sins, your secret sins, the things that you've done that no one knows about, but your sins, but think of your secret sins right now. Your sins will bring you to hell. Your sins will destroy you. But Jesus is a great Savior. He took the punishment that we deserve on the cross so that if we trust in Him, we can have life. So, if you're checking your phone right now, or you're mentally moved away from me, listen. These are the words of life. This is the most important message you will ever hear. God will hold you accountable someday for hearing these words from my mouth, because they're not my words, they're the word of God, that you must believe in Jesus to be saved. So turn and live. Why would you die? Why would you perish? Why would you turn away from God's love, which is sweeter? Believers in this room know that, right? It's sweeter than anything else in life. So, that brings me to the second question. What, what is the mystery revealed here? So why, why, we saw why would he save Israel? Because it's fitting. What What is the mystery? That brings us to verses 25 and 26. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, Paul doesn't want, and we talked about this last week, Paul doesn't want the Gentiles to be proud. So he tells them a mystery. A mystery, the way the Bible uses the word, is not something we can't understand. It's not, it's not something that surpasses human logic. That's how we often use the word theologically. And that's fine. You know, all, all our theological terms don't, if you understand what I'm saying, don't have to match the specific meaning used in texts and scripture. There's no problem with that theological meaning of the word. But we must not confuse that theological meaning with what Paul means here. A mystery in the Bible is something previously hidden, but that is now revealed, now disclosed to us. When, when God reveals a mystery to us, he lets us in on a secret, a secret that he's kept to himself. But, but Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery. I want to let you in on a secret that God is hidden, but now he's disclosing. So I, I think there are three dimensions to this mystery, this secret that's disclosed to us. Here's, here's the first dimension. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. 
What does that mean? Most Israelites, most Jews in Paul's day and up to our day, they don't believe. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't trust in the good news. Now, that's not clear from the Old Testament, is it? The Old Testament doesn't tell us specifically and clearly that when the Messiah arrives, that the Jews won't believe. That's why it's a mystery. That's not clear at all from the Old Testament. We would expect, I think the Jews expected, when the Messiah came, the Jewish people from which the Messiah came would would believe in him. That's what we'd expect to happen. But Paul says, Here's a, here's a secret. Remember, Paul's writing right around the time of Jesus. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised that they didn't believe because that's a mystery that I'm now disclosing to you. They, they've been hardened in part. When he says in part, I think he means mostly. It, obviously, some Jews all through history have believed in Jesus, haven't they? Some Jews believed in Paul's day and Jesus' day, and some Jews believe today. But most, and that's still true today, most did not believe. So that, that's the first element of the secret. The second, the second dimension of the mystery or the secret is this. The hardening of Israel will last until the fullness of the Gentiles enter in. The Jews will remain hardened while Gentiles, millions of Gentiles, Millions and millions of Gentiles, all 2,000 years now, are streaming into the people of God. Praise God. Right? And most of you in this room, right? I take it, I hope. You've streamed into the people of God. We live in that period of time in history. Surprise, surprise! The Jews didn't believe in their Messiah. Then the Gentiles are believing in great numbers. And this state of affairs will last until the fullness of the Gentiles enters in. The full number, I take it. He means by fullness. But that partial hardening is temporary. So, so that brings me to the third part of the mystery. And, and I'm going to say more about this as we go. And that is, there will be an end time salvation of all Israel. Verse 26, and in this way, all Israel shall be saved. So that's the third dimension of the mystery. All Israel shall be saved. But I, I just want to stop again and, and, and make an application. God is working out his plan for Israel and for the Gentiles. We learn from this, God is sovereign over history. What's happening in history, God rules over that. He's working out his plan. Sometimes when I look at the world, I think it's falling apart. We may worry in an election year, where is the United States going? The American economy, it may fall apart. The American experiment, that's been a grand experiment in history, hasn't it? The American experiment may fail. We may be judged. We may be destroyed. We don't know. But God's in control. He's sovereign. America may fail, but God won't fail. Your own personal plans and dreams, they may not come to pass. But God's purposes will be accomplished. His kingdom will come. His will will be done. We can take confidence in that. 
Our God reigns. He rules. So, don't fret. Don't be anxious. Are you anxious and worried? The righteous won't be forsaken. We may fall seven times, but the Lord will lift us by the hand. He'll sustain us. He guides all of history so He can guide your life. And He does. So put your confidence in Him. Rest in His wise and good purposes. What a joy it is to know that God doesn't only rule over our own personal lives. He rules over all of history. He's sovereign. Well, let's return now to these verses and ask the third question. Why and and what and now who will be saved? The answer is all Israel, which I think most naturally refers to the Jewish people. Now, some think, however, that by all Israel, Paul refers in verse 26 to both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. So some people think in verse 26 he's talking about the salvation of the church, both Jews and Gentiles. But I I don't think that's convincing for several reasons. First, in the near context, Paul clearly uses the word Israel to refer to the Jews. And he consistently, in 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 these chapters, distinguishes the Jews from Gentiles. I mean, look at verse 25. The verse right before verse 26 where it says all Israel will be saved. What does verse 25 say? A partial hardening has come upon Israel. That's clearly ethnic Israel, isn't it? That's clearly the Jewish people until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Well, it's just obvious, isn't it? In verse 25, Jews are distinguished from Gentiles. And I think it's hard to believe, therefore, that in verse 26, all Israel suddenly means both Jews and Gentiles. I mean, the verse before, Israel clearly means the Jews. How, does he, how do we suddenly lurch into talking about both Jews and Gentiles in verse 26? I don't think that makes very much sense. No, the natural way to take it is that by all Israel, he refers to the Jewish people. Second, in Romans 9 through 11, Paul uses the word Israel to refer to the Jewish people again and again and again. The only ex- possible exception... We're not going to look at this verse. But the only possible exception is Romans chapter 9, verse 6. I actually don't think that verse is an exception. But but in, in every other case in these chapters, it is obvious that Israel refers to the Jews. I think it's hard to believe that he departs from that meaning in verse 26. Now, I'm not saying, just to be clear, I'm not saying that... Everywhere and always in all his letters, wherever Paul uses Israel, he refers to ethnic Jews. I think in Galatians 6.16, when Paul refers to the Israel of God, he actually has in mind both Jew and Gentile, the church of Jesus Christ. So so I'm, I'm not arguing that in every instance Israel refers to Jews. Context is king, isn't it? 
context. We, we determine the meaning of a word in context. And the context of Romans 9 through 11, I think, is very clear that he refers to ethnic Jews. Verse 26, he'll turn ungodliness from Jacob. I take it that means the Jewish people. Third, third argument defending this. Those who think that Paul suddenly refers to the church in verse 26, I think have a hard time explaining the subsequent verses. That is the verses that follow. Look at verse 28. Paul says, as, because he said all Israel will be saved. Okay, does he suddenly switch to the church, right? Is, that's what I'm saying. Does he? No. Because look at verse 28. He continues to talk about the Jews. Verse 28, as regards the gospel, they, who's the they there? It's the Jews, aren't they? As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So do you see, Paul must be talking about ethnic Israel, the Jewish people, in verse 26, because he continues to talk about them in verse 28 and following. The Jews are enemies for your sake, but they are beloved because of the fathers. That is, God's electing grace has not abandoned them. Verses 30 through 31, I think, make the same same point. For just as you... That's the Gentiles now, right, in verse 30. It can be hard to follow this. For just as you Gentiles were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their, the Jewish disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, that is the Jews, in order that by the mercy shown to you, that is the Gentiles, they, the Jews, also may now receive mercy. It's clear that it's the Gentiles who were formerly disobedient and have now received mercy. And he says, now, now the time is there for the Jews to receive God's saving mercy. So if you lost me a little bit here, my point is Paul continues after verse 26 to distinguish between Jews and Gentiles, which makes it really hard to believe in verse 26 that he suddenly talks about the church. So who will be saved? If you lost everything else, the Jewish people. All Israel. But let's come, let's, now let's look at the next word. All Israel. Now, now I don't think that means necessarily every Jewish person will be saved. But it most naturally means Most Jews will be saved. Now, hold on. What do I mean by most Jews? I don't mean all through history. I'll say more about that later. It's contrasted with the present time when there is a partial hardening of Israel. The partial hardening will be lifted and all Israel will be saved. That's supported by verse 12. That's a verse we looked at last week. 
Chapter 11, verse 12. Now, if their trespass, if Israel's trespass means riches for the world, that's riches for the Gentiles, and if their failure, that's Israel's failure, means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? I think it's clear from that verse that there's a full salvation coming from for Israel. Something fuller than the partial hardening that's happening right now. Verse 15 says, there's a day of acceptance coming. A day when the great majority of Jews will be saved. So, what does he mean when he says all Israel will be saved? He means Jews will be saved. And he means most Jews will be saved. Not just a few, lots of Jews. All Israel. Maybe every single one. But all doesn't necessarily mean all. Most. Clearly. That leads to the fourth question. When will all Israel be saved? Verse 26. The verb is future. All Israel will be saved. I think there are other indications that he's talking about the future here. The first is from last week. Chapter 11, verse 15. For if their rejection, that's the rejection of the Jews, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, if the rejection of the Jews means reconciliation for the Gentiles, if it means salvation for the Gentiles, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? What will the acceptance of the Jews, not their rejection, but their salvation, by acceptance he means their salvation. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And I argued last week that life from the dead refers always in the New Testament without exception to the resurrection. But that suggests we're talking about something in the future. What will this full salvation of Israel mean but The coming of the resurrection. But that's future. The physical resurrection. That's something that hasn't happened yet, obviously. Suggesting that the salvation of Israel has not yet happened. The salvation of all Israel. That means the salvation of all Israel is near the very end of history. Doesn't it? That fits with what we saw already before. That the salvation of all Israel will come after the fullness of the Gentiles enters in. God's great work amongst the Gentiles will be finished. And then, then he will save all Israel. Another indication of the time, verses 26 and 27. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. I think, again, Paul's thinking of a future event. All Israel will be saved when that partial hardening is lifted 
after the fullness of the Gentiles enter in, and Israel will be saved when the Deliverer comes from Zion. What's that talking about? I think the Deliverer is Jesus Christ. And I think Zion stands for heaven itself. Therefore, I take it that what Paul is talking about here is the second coming of Jesus. He will come from Zion, from the heavenly Jerusalem. And when he comes, he will convert Israel. He will turn them from their sin. And then will come the resurrection of the dead. What's the application for us? Pray. Pray for the salvation of Israel. Some of you men were at the prayer breakfast with Ryan Fullerton. What did he instruct us to do? Pray that God's promises will be fulfilled. This is one of God's promises. All Israel will be saved. Pray that God would fulfill what he's promised. That's one of God's pledges to us. Pray that God will show them that Jesus is their Messiah and their Savior. Pray that their blindness will be lifted. And they will see that Isaiah 53 refers to one who suffered for them. Pray that they'll see the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. And pray Jesus will certainly come again. But pray often today for the second coming of Jesus. Pray that he'll come again and wrap everything up. Pray, come Lord Jesus, please return and reign over us. Don't fritter away your life on empty dreams. Do your work as unto the Lord, looking forward to the day when he will return and wrap up his promises. So when? When will Israel be saved? At or near the second coming of Jesus, I take it. The very end of history, because it's followed by the resurrection. Fifth, how will Israel be saved? Verse 26 says Israel will be saved in this way. But it's clear in the context that the way, the how, is a time. The how is a when. You with me? The second coming... At or near the second coming, Israel's hardening will be removed. It'll be saved in this way, when the deliverer comes from Zion. That's how, how they'll be saved. Let's read again. The deliverer, will, I take it that's Jesus, will come from Zion. I take it that's heaven. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. How will Israel be saved? Jesus will come again and turn away ungodliness from them. So it seems as if, I'm trying not to be too specific, but it seems as if the final conversion of Israel is very much like the conversion of the Apostle Paul when Jesus appeared to him. And he was saved. So if that seems strange to you, what do you mean? That doesn't seem very fair that Jesus appears to them and they're converted. Well, that's exactly how he converted Paul. 
There's a precedent for this. That's God's electing grace, isn't it? As Zechariah 12 says, they will look on the one they have pierced and they will weep and they will believe. Zechariah 13.1, on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Israel will be saved through the blood of Jesus. They will look on him and they will believe. As verse 27 says, their sins will be wiped away. So these verses aren't saying that all Jews who ever lived will be saved. They're they're not teaching they're two peoples of God. Israel and the church is two peoples of God. Those Jews who are saved will become part of the church of Jesus Christ on earth for a very short time on earth. But still, one one people of God, Jew and Gentile together, saved. I don't think I don't think these verses say anything about a special place for the Jews in the millennium. If you're thinking about those kind of things, I don't think these verses say anything about this. They say that Israel will be saved when they're forgiven of their sins through the blood of Jesus. They teach an end time salvation of Israel. So again, we can pray for that fountain to be opened up and to cleanse them. And praise God for that fountain. I think of all the times I've been angry or irritated or lustful or jealous or bitter or have gossiped. But I've been cleansed by that fountain. Praise God that that fountain of Jesus' blood cleanses us from all our sin. And I hope you're bathing and rejoicing in that fountain today. I hope you're rejoicing in our great salvation. Sixth and lastly, back to why. Why will all Israel be saved? He started out by saying it's fitting. It's fitting. You know, and he's told us in these verses, all Israel refers to the Jews. They'll be saved at the end, I think, near the end of history when Jesus comes again. But I think he gives us a more profound answer as to why here. And the answer is because of God's covenant promises. Verse 27 says, God will remove Israel's sins because of his covenant with them. That fits. See, we're coming to the end here of something we've been looking at for a long time. That fits with the beginning of Romans 9. Because Paul's grieving that Israel isn't saved. And he wonders, does God keep his word? And Romans chapter 9 verse 6 says, God always keeps his promises. God's word has not failed. God keeps his covenant promise to Israel. He promised that there would be a future salvation for them and it will happen. Many Old Testament texts say that. Election, verse 28, election will secure the promise. This is God's sovereign grace pouring out his mercy upon them. The covenant he made with the patriarchs, that covenant is irrevocable. It can't 
be denied. It will be fulfilled. God will never withdraw his saving love from his people. God is always true to his word. He always keeps his promises. He will save Israel. So as we close, we give him thanks because he'll never break his word to Israel and he'll never break his promises to us. I just close briefly with one promise, one of my favorite promises in the Bible. The one who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's a love that captured us at the beginning. And that love that first captured us, that love will never let us go. Here is a love that triumphs. We may feel that we live in a world somewhat like Cormac McCarthy's The Road. We may feel that the sun will never shine again, that we'll never see blue sky, but we will. All of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we do give you thanks that you are faithful to your promises. And Lord, we want to obey this text and to pray for the salvation of all Israel. We pray, Lord, that that fountain would be opened and that there would be cleansing and that they would look on him whom they have pierced and that they would trust in Jesus for their salvation. And Lord, we know this promise is so closely associated with our prayer that you would come again, Lord Jesus. So we do pray that you would come from heaven and that you would wrap up history. Lord, keep any of us from thinking that it would be better to continue to live on this earth. Show us your glory and beauty so that we would all confess that there is nothing more desirable, nothing sweeter, nothing more lovely than for Jesus to come again. So we do pray, Lord, come, Lord Jesus. And we pray this in our great Savior's name. Amen.